You're listening to The Dream Dealer's Daughter, written and read to you by Emily McCumber. Support the show by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you can, please rate and review the show as well. This really helps me out. Thanks. This is Chapter 16, The Lighthouse Beach. Edgar introduced Nargis to the concept of the sea, but Lighthouse Beach showed her the vastness of Earth. From her vantage of the lighthouse, the ocean seems to go on forever. She often wonders if time was stretched, how long would it be, how vast? Is it infinite like everyone seems to believe? Standing at the edge of her dreams in her mind, hovering before the all-time beyond, time feels just, if not vaster, than the oceans of Earth. These are the thoughts she entertains herself with instead of considering the complexities Eladio, Dula, and Clark have exposed. The waves never crash here, and the shore is miles of reflections. When the sun hits right, the shoreline reflects the clouds above, and it's like she's witnessing an error, a glitch in the foundation of life and time. Every minded person knows parallel times and even interspersed times exist. But variances aren't visible side by side, not normally. They've become friends, Nargis and this lighthouse. She may not sleep and therefore may not dream in the conventional sense, but her mind does wander. Months following her discovery of the sea in the mind of Edgar, a vision washed over her. She'd been in the middle of a lesson on sensory that Largo ordered her to attend. The instructor had been teaching the importance of determining which sensory is valued most by the mind one is dreaming for. In the midst of this lesson, it came over her, a flash of light on rippling water, and then it was gone. A week later, she found this both familiar and alien moment lurking in her midway. At first, she wrote it off as the remnant of a stray memory belonging to one of the people stored in her token room. Eventually, curiosity won, and she entered the moment to discover the vision of light on rippling water was an entire memory, not a mere fragment. Though she's never expressed this to anyone, not even Isaac, she's always hoped, somewhat delusionally, that this lighthouse is a glimpse into the past life she's always felt was missing from her midway. Now, though, considering a past life is required to anchor someone, the idea that this lighthouse and the beach it shines on is a memory of a previous life might not be so far-fetched. Nargis leans over the railing. A storm hangs in the clouds, dark gray clusters that obscure the moon. The only other place she's felt like she belongs is the dream she and Isaac crafted together, but this place is real to more than Isaac. It's real to the priors and minded that wander the shore in its other variances of existence. After the first arrival of the vision, she quickly found the physical location this moment portrays in the all-time. The many versions of Lighthouse Beach that exist are just as magnificent as the one within her mind. It's a red lighthouse in her midway, and illuminated by an oil lamp. The keeper's name is James Owens. He's an old man who half the time is asleep in his chair. On the rare occasion he is awake, although prior in a memory, not a present existence, he senses Nargis like a ghost always seems to know when she's near, but not where or why. She stares out at the waves that roll toward the cliff edge. Miles and miles of beach stretch beyond. Cars are parked right in the sand, and it's evergreens, not palm trees, dominating the periphery land. It has always seemed suspect why her workload would increase near embodiments, why she'd have new clients and be sent far into the all-time so close to her birthday. According to Clark and Dula, 
none of this matters. Her embodiments were never going to work. Not when apparently she's been anchored in Eugene's mind. Even if Largo has anchored her and she does have a past, why tie her to Eugene? And what did Eladio mean by, Eugene won't be alive for long? Does she know Nargis has been hired to kill? Okay, not kill, but potentially harm him. Hope is always found at the beach though, and the ocean, it lessens her worries. The sight and the sound, simply being before it, dissolves the many layers of her defenses. Today, it sees Nargis for who and how she really is, scared of what comes next. Then a gust of wind arrives, carrying with it a comforting sense of everything is going to be okay. After leaving Eladio's tattoo parlor behind, Nargis came here, traveled into her own mind through her midway, past the seaweed forest, bypassing where Largo's doors once stood, and arrived at a portion of the ocean floor cast in a vintage light. As she stepped into this light, she entered the only reference in time she feels any real connection to. Even if Lighthouse Beach is another's memory and not her own, it will always be special. It will always feel like how home has to her clients. She could hide here, spend her days and nights in this lighthouse, watch the water move with the moon and shimmer in the sun. But a decision must be made, and she can't make this choice here. She may not know much about anchors, but she knows they don't protect against drift. When Eladio said, anchors can be prisons too, and everything about you says caged, she organized strings of thought Nargis wasn't even aware she was struggling to form into understanding. Since her first memory, Drift has been on her radar, the shitty thing that creeps up on any happy moment and reminds her these moments are precious because they could be stolen by instability, by something she has always been told is out of her control. But maybe she's only susceptible to Drift because she has been anchored. Maybe Largo severed her from her past to imprison her to his generosity, indebting her forever to his services. Removing this anchor would be her breaking free. Her accepting Dula's offer would be taking control. Eugene doesn't have to die. She shouldn't be worried about Eugene's potential death. He's a thief, stole something that belongs to Dula, and he probably helps Largo anchor her in his mind. No harm done if she doesn't actually kill Eugene, right? If she doesn't harm him, she can get freedom without killing another mind. She can't go into this uninformed. Can't let Dula become another Largo like Elder Aliso said. The key to preventing that is not letting her hope and her wants blind her intuition. Which means seeing multiple sides to this situation. Nargis says goodbye to Lighthouse Beach. Through a coral archway in the sea of her midway, there lies the entrance to her token room responsible for housing her most prized possessions. It's in here that memories of her secret meetings with Isaac are hidden within a television. Knickknacks, sculptures, paintings, and photographs litter the space before her. The most common place people feel at home is their bedroom. The more Largo, instructors, and people like Clark were inspecting Nargis's mind for different tasks and purposes, it occurred to her she'd need some place to hide all that she values most. A place to be herself in her own mind, since she often wasn't alone with her thoughts. And she designed this space. Hidden within the everyday objects found in a bedroom are the tokens she's collected over the years. This room has become like the persona she wears now, a combination of the places she's seen and taken a liking to, full of memories and even a few people. There's a bed that will never be slept in, a closet full of outfits and accessories she's bargained for, curated from her clients' memories. There are posters on stucco walls, a desk full of journals, shelves bulging with books, and dozens of hidden entrances tucked in unassuming places 
that lead to her more toxic collection. The wall above her bed is her favorite, covered in photographs of the people she's promised to guard, to remember. Sometimes they wander their way out of their photographs, up the loft, to the library containing her notes on the art of dreams. Today, they remain in their assigned places. She's tried her hardest to make this her space, and joy does come from reviewing her collection, getting lost in the things and places that others valued. But some days, not even her own mind feels like home. Nargis sits on the sofa perched before an old TV, a token from Alan G. Gregorio. Names, faces, heirs, she never forgets the ones belonging to the minds she has dreamt for. Turning on the TV, an episode from a popular sitcom plays in black and white, but she focuses on the mirror in the background of the shot. Isaac's face reflects in it, as does Nargis's. The mirror expands until it fills the TV screen, every trace of the sitcom gone. With the remote, she fast-forwards through her memories of Isaac until she lands on the first time he spoke of Eugene. On a Wednesday evening, Isaac stormed into their dream, fear swarming his air. Not fear for himself, but his friends. She's going to get us killed. Nargis of the recent past climbs down from the hammock and sits beside Isaac on the forest floor. Who's going to get you killed? Isaac tilts his head to the ocean sky of their dream. It didn't take her long to realize Isaac is more honest when no one can read his face. Angelique lied to us about a prior she finds familiar. She won't leave him alone, Isaac says, his voice crackling as it leaves the TV speakers. The distortion of his voice helps distract Nargis from the ache of seeing his face and knowing, even considering all that's happened, she still wants to talk to him. And now Zara's gone and gotten involved. That never ends well. He rubs a hand over his face. Angelique promised me, everyone, that the prior wasn't familiar to her body. But months have passed and she's still watching him. Recently one morning, they spoke at the cafe. Apparently, he knew Ida. And who is Ida again? The original owner of Angelique's current body, Isaac answers. He may appear prior, and I consider him to be, but he knows minded things. He's dangerous, and Angelique is enamored with his curiosity. Until meeting Isaac, Nargis didn't grasp the risk curious priors present to the minded existing in preserved bodies. A prior happens to recognize the face a mind has taken over, a face that to some people in that time is believed to be dead, and exposure is possible. Exposure of the minded. But it's not even this that is the biggest threat priors pose, Isaac had explained. It's the residual memories their questions might dredge up. A preserved body witnesses too much of its original life, its original owner, and a mind could remember their way out of their current form. For Isaac's friend Angelique, Eugene represented this risk. If he asked too many questions about Ida, the woman whose body Angelique took over, Eugene could hinder the connection responsible for convincing Angelique's preserved body she was the original owner. It hadn't meant much to her at first, how concerned Isaac was about this prior. From what she recalls, Eugene had started out as a minor threat. This all changed in the moment now playing on the screen. Isaac is seated on the ground, ankles crossed, and face pointed toward the sky. A certain sadness clings to him this evening as he says, Eugene has Ario's memories. Before she can speak, get a single word or thought out, Isaac adds, We went to steal back Ario's memories from Eugene, but Ario is responsible for the defenses around his mind, which most likely means... Nargis cuts him off, that Ario wanted Eugene to have her memories. Well, Isaac says, that's what my friends think. But what do you think? He looks at her now, and though she's watching it play out on the screen, it's like he's staring directly at her. The intensity of a stare, whether in physical form or persona, is difficult to ignore. I don't know what to think. A first for Isaac. 
She took more interest in the topic of Eugene following this moment. In the past six months, Isaac has thrown around many theories about Eugene. These theories have been on a constant rotation from ally, friend, or foe. She offered multiple times to enter Eugene's mind and investigate. But Isaac always said no, offering a lame excuse that he couldn't risk mixing his two lives. She fast-forwards till the most recent update. When she and Isaac last discussed Eugene, he and his friends were making plans to travel to a different variance with the hopes of getting answers as to how Eugene acquired Ario's memories. It's more than curious. This Eugene ends up with Ario's memories, and now Dula claims these very memories belong to them. Ario. That name ricochets in Nargus's air. Without Ario, it's likely she and Isaac never would have met. Three years ago, while on an assignment in a variance of Iceland, Nargis was busy discussing terms with a client. She sat in their living room, staring out at a large window overlooking snow-capped mountains during sunset. Mixed within the snowfall were pink flower petals. She ignored this at first, deciding it a passing dream not intended for her or her client. The following day, deep in the mind of Lucio, a client struggling with long-term memory, Nargis spotted them again, the pink petals of a cherry tree. This dream followed her for a week before she gave in and put herself in the petal's path. The cherry blossom flowers encased her, dragged her through the all-time to a dream of a wallless space. At the center was a cherry tree in blossom with a bench before it. And waiting on this bench was a mind. My name is Ario, and I have a proposition for you. Even then, Ario was as well known as Jula is now. It's hard not to hear the whisperings of Ario, one of the last few mappers said to have experienced time when the future was still predictable. Ario, the Perti of Angelique, a renowned Mortium. Ario, who Largo repeatedly tried to recruit. I have a friend named Isaac that requires your services, Nargis. The payment, consistent remembrance. The job, dreaming new memories that will keep a turbulent past at bay. My friend is quite a challenging case that I believe only you can handle. And I am told you take an interest in complex cases. I am also told you collect the knickknacks of other minds. If you accept, I also offer you my memories of three life maps, all of which I explored before the Wall of Time disappeared. Like prior studying the lines of a palm to predict a person's future, life maps explored the various ways a mind's life could go or had already gone, and the memory of a mind's life map before the Wall of Time dissipated, when the future was still predictable, while Ario's proposition was more than tempting. The next day, Narcus was in a dream hosted by Ario, meeting Isaac for the first time, and learning that he already had a dreamer supplied by Largo, but this dreamer couldn't contain Isaac's past alone. Nargus almost said no, because it didn't make sense. Why wouldn't Ario just approach Largo directly, and request Nargus to be Isaac's additional dreamer? But while Nargus had consistent clients, those she dreamt for every week or every few days, her main clients never paid for her services with remembrance. Largo said this was to prevent her from becoming dependent on a select few clients, claiming it was safer to broaden the roster of minds keeping her present by way of remembrance. Even then, she saw through his lie. This rule was to prevent her from creating connections with actual people, to prevent her from getting too comfortable, so comfortable she might not obey him. So she accepted Ario's proposition. The payment of constant remembrance and a collection of life maps was too good to pass up, and an agreement was made. Nargis would dream memories mimicking Isaac's structure of thought that would hold back his past, which was gradually fighting its way into his present. 
In exchange, he'd keep her in his air, keep her on mind every moment. Shortly after her sessions with Isaac began, Ario disappeared. It was a devastating day for Isaac. Even more devastating had been the day Ario returned two years later to deliver an elusive promise before drifting completely. Isaac never shared Ario's promise with Nargis, but Ario was a mind whose air and name was whispered well after her drift, was known in times thousands of years in the future and past, and there were rumors, rumors about Ario working with the dreamers of time. Last Isaac spoke of Eugene, he believed Eugene was Ario's messenger, not a thief. But if it's Ario's memories that do the claims Eugene stole from them, who is right? Who is lying? Does it even matter who is honest as long as Nargis gets what she wants without actually harming anyone? Nargis draws the red card from her air. Its smooth finish reflects in the light of the TV. No, it isn't her job to determine who is right or wrong. This isn't a mystery she's been hired to solve. This is an extraction, plain and simple. An extraction that should, if all goes to plan, end with her having a body in whatever time she chooses. Laughter cuts through her thoughts. She refocuses on the screen. A memory plays of Isaac leading her through the popular dances of his variants. Paris, 1927. It's too much, witnessing this happy moment shared between them. She'd rather get lost in her questions than remember the good times. Ario may have once been able to predict the most likely pathways of the future in other people's life maps, but for Nargis, there is no telling which choice will lead to the outcome she wants. There is no guarantee. There is only chance and a choice that is hers to make. If she truly is anchored, her wanting for a semblance of a past life she's always felt should exist has been valid. If she has a past beyond her current life's memories, this must mean she's had a body before. But even if in her past life she didn't have a body and or a genetic code, her anchor should at least contain answers or clues as to how she came to be bodiless. And if Largo was the one that kept it from her all this time, the best revenge would be stealing it back. Nargis sends her acceptance into the card. She makes her choice known. You've just listened to The Dream Dealer's Daughter, written and read to you by Emily McCumber. If you listen to podcasts on the regular, you know just how important reviews and ratings are. It would be awesome, fantastic, if you could subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps tell the algorithm, hey, this show is important. Maybe we should push it out to more listeners. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next chapter. The Dream Dealer's Daughter. Copyright 2022. Emily McCumber.